I was excited when I was given the topic, uh, and God willing, the Lord will just bless all of us. Today I'm going to be talking about what I titled it, Religion Versus Worship. And so um, I'm going to contrast or compare them, and I would say that overall I could quickly say that we're going to uh, compare light versus darkness. And then I thought about quicksand, which is really what I see religion as, quicksand versus the beachfront. I spent this week, this past week, attending a funeral for my sister, one of my sisters that died. And um, from diagnosis to death was one week. And that doesn't speak to the aggressiveness of the cancer as much as it was her, her tolerance of pain and her fear. And that's apparently a, a, a thing in the family. They're afraid of what the doctor will say. And by the time they see the doctor, it's too late to do anything. And so that was very gut-wrenching. She was young. She was 51 years old the day she died. She turned, she would have had her 52nd birthday on, on uh, May 1st. Um, and so she died just before that. She died on the 27th of April. But it was difficult. Uh, uh, my family is huge. My mother birthed seven children. Her first husband, my mom was married twice. Her first husband went on and married a woman with one child, and they developed ten. And so uh, there are 17 of us. And then, of course, the reason my mother divorced her first husband was that he could not keep himself to himself. And so there are a few more out there. And yeah, there you go. So there were a lot of us there. But anyway, I had this, I didn't actually get to work on the preparation of the sermon until last night, but I have known the title for a while, and as I said, I was excited when I was given uh, uh, the choice to, to do this one, and I was excited for it because I think I have a little bit of experience in, in this field, particularly as it relates to religion, and I'll explain that in a moment. I need this a little higher. Do I just pull this up? There we go. Can you still see me? Okay. <laughs> I think that's why I built the stage. He goes, if I'm going to have Teresa preach, because their heads are like almost hitting the ceiling. But Okay, here we go. Um, I've mentioned this before sometimes, uh, that Ray and I have, we do deliverance ministry. And I don't know what that means to you or how you interpret when I say that, but I'll explain that um, we do deliverance ministry with Christians. We don't take non-Christians through deliverance unless they're willing to accept Christ because the scripture says, uh, Jesus described about one man who was uh, set free, the devil was cast out, the demon was cast out, and then it wandered and paced through waterless places. And when it returned seven days later, it found that the host was clean, swept up, but empty. And when he saw that it was empty, he went and got seven worse than himself. And so we don't take non-Christians through deliverance. Whenever you hear me say that, it is Christians, and maybe that might confuse you or frighten you, and that's a, a discussion for another day. But um, I'll tell you that we don't at all believe that demons possess Christians, but they really do hang real close. And so um, we, we say that they're assigned they don't let go, they kind of stick like your shadow, and they don't rest or sleep, they don't have to, and they get very creative in the ways that they mistreat us. 
when they've decided to be attached to us. And so one of the spirits that we've cast out pretty much 100% of the time is the spirit of religion. Um, so what is the spirit of religion? And I'm going to tell you right now that I acknowledge that there's actually no mention whatsoever of a spirit. I'm doing this for my back. It helps me. I forgot to wear my back brace. Uh, there's no mention of a religious spirit specifically, but evidenced by the behavior of the Pharisees, which were the Orthodox Jewish men who were very, very religious. And so I'm going to read to you a passage from Matthew 23.3. Did I give you that? I might not have given it. Okay, good. Uh, Jesus said to the people, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. And so I know that sometimes it's very easy for us to read the scripture and have an us and them mentality, like, oh my gosh, they were so dumb. Oh my gosh, they were so evil. But honestly, there's nothing new under the sun. And we are just like them. And so we need to be very careful. And when we read the scripture, we need to stop, especially when we find ourselves saying those things in our thoughts and ask God, Lord, show me how I am just like them because I don't want to be. And so what, do, what does this spirit do? It perverts the revelation of who we are in Christ. I don't know about you, but I know that I have had thoughts that accuse me. My own thoughts. I don't need you. I can be my own worst enemy. I don't need you to make me feel bad. I'm 63 years old. I have five children. I didn't do a really good job when I was rearing them pretty much by myself. I am married to the same man uh, who was really devoted to ministry. And what that means is that we didn't see him very often. He was involved in church, pursuing and taking care of the people, etc. And that developed a lot of frustration in me. I was angry and bitter. And honestly, I didn't have a good example when I was growing up. I didn't know who to emulate. And I've met many people who have had a life experience similar to mine, and they were able to overcome it. They're amazing parents. I wasn't. And so the voice that accuses me reminds me of the ways that I have fallen short, reminds me of the hurt that my children carry with them to this day. And for the longest time, I used to feel so heavily burdened because they didn't lie. Those voices were telling me truthful things. But then one day I got a revelation and I thought, whoa, wait a minute. God was with me the whole time and he knew. I have confessed my sin to my children and to him. And I know that I am forgiven by the one that matters above all else. And so now when that voice comes, I say, what? Shut up. But I'm only on the first sentence of my first page, and I've got five pages, so I must move along. Um, it perverts the revelation of who we are in Jesus Christ. This spirit tempts us to condemn and curse others, right? You may think not. We might think, I was telling Ray, I, I, the, the, another thought that come, uh, was going through my mind, and I want you to hear me when I say this, you are among the most loving, friendly, kind people Ray and I have ever been among. And so there's this voice that's been telling me, Teresa, the first half of your teaching on religion, what the spirit of religion does and how it oppresses, the people are going to, uh, uh, it's going to kind of slide off because 
it doesn't fit them, but it's not true. If we're alive and human, this fits us. And so even though you, you are among the most loving and you have embraced us and you, some of you are, are our best and closest friends, even though we've only been here three years, you are amazing. I, haven't, I don't have one complaint, but if you're alive <laughs> and human, not a dog or a cat or a fish, this applies. So I rebuke those thoughts out of my own mind and out of everyone here. May we all have a heart to receive and to hear the truth of God, because this is scripture. This is scripturally based. Luke 9, 53 through 55. The people did not want him there because they knew he was on his way to Jerusalem. James and John, his followers, saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to speak fire? So speak so fire will come down from heaven and burn them up as Elijah did? Jesus turned and spoke sharp words to them. He said, you do not know what kind of spirit you have. So if those disciples who were in the presence of Jesus day in, day out, succumbed to their flesh and wanted to call down fire because people were resisting them, I, I propose and suggest that we're not above them. We are just as susceptible it's just very easy, and it's a thing of the flesh where we want to have this us and them mentality. We want to separate ourselves. The truth is that the flesh wants us to put ourselves above, but I'm not going to say that that's true here. I'm going to say that maybe the, 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 as far as we go, to be kind, is that we want to say we're just separate. We're not like that. If the shoe fits, size 7. I actually wore size 5, but some here are size 10 or 15 or 15? Yeah, okay. He didn't want to say that out loud. I'll take a nap in your shoe when I'm done. <laughs> All right. It tempts us to hold ourselves to impossible standards, to be judgmental. How someone does or doesn't come dressed to church whether the women wear jewelry or makeup. Now, remember, I'm not just talking to us. I'm talking about the believers everywhere. This is what the Spirit does as it whispers into our ear. And oh, by the way, this is another thing that is absolutely true about deliverance. The demons that attach, they can only have power to the measure that that's an inclination that we have. And I'll give you this example. I don't drink alcohol. I don't like it. Sometimes, I, sometimes I, I'm like on the search for something that I like, but especially hard liquor. I just, I don't like it. And so if there was a demon called alcoholism, it would just like shrivel and die. It would be so ashamed they'd kick it around and put it in chains because it would have absolutely no effect in my life. But rejection, me rejecting others, critical spirit, oh yeah. And when we what's in us, the inclination we already have, then it becomes sort of like that Popeye image where Popeye gets spinach and he gets strong, right? Where our sinful inclination is what empowers the demon that's assigned to us. Remember that. And so the, uh, they're clever. They're not going to assign alcoholism to me because it ain't going to happen. But the other ones, watch out. All right. Light versus darkness. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I didn't turn the page. Okay, so judgmentalism. 
uh, of a new believer, uh, maybe a baby Christian who still smokes, hasn't been able to overcome that. And we look and we say, Jesus loves you and you've got Jesus in you and the Holy Spirit is in you. Why haven't you given that up? Why haven't you? You're perfect. God's power is perfect in you. Why haven't you given up? You can. And it, and it isn't just that vice. It's the other ones too. Of people who see movies in movie theaters. Hey. When Ray was a student at Moody Bible Institute, he had to sign a contract that said that we wouldn't dance, that he wouldn't go to movie theaters, and that he wouldn't drink. Was there anything else, honey, in that contract? Or go with those who do. Yeah, we're laughing, but that's what we, he had to do that. And we, like, well, anyway. So, uh, of Christians who, uh, who miss a Bible study or don't volunteer to serve every event. Of Christians or of other denominations, whether or not they pray in tongues, whether or not they embrace the sign gifts of Holy Spirit. And the list goes on. It leads into hypocrisy. Let's consider the woman at the well, which is a whole sermon all by itself. Would you think of the woman at the well when I said the word hypocrisy? Would do you think that they come together in any way? I'm going to show you very briefly. Um, the men dragged her to Jesus. Where was the man? Because, you know, I did a sermon on this. Do you know that when they say that they caught her in the act of, of adultery, they don't mean that they saw her go in and him go in and they, and they guessed at what was happening. They're not saying that they saw them come out. They say they caught them in the act, which is what they had to do. Are we on the same page here? Okay, the act. They caught them. Where was the man? Because she didn't do that by herself. You cannot commit adultery by yourself. Although Jesus did say that if you think it in your mind, you're guilty of doing it, but that's not where we're going right now. <clears throat> they were hypocrites because in their religious zeal, they only judged the woman, not the man. Hypocrisy. Galatians 2, 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him. This is Paul speaking. For, where, uh, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barabbas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That's, now, that was the work of his flesh certainly fueled by the, by the demons who just like to really seduce and tempt and press us into the path away from God. Um, in the flesh, religion leads to pridefulness. Have you, uh, I call it the belt-notching evangelism. Does that, ring, does that register a picture? And I'm going to give you, I, I never had, well, actually, I have had a few come to the door, and I try to convince them that I'm born again, but they don't believe it unless I say the prayer with them, which I refuse to do because I already did it. Uh, but one time I was talking to my sister-in-law. This was about 40 years ago. We were talking on the phone, and her doorbell rang. She put the phone down. You remember, cord limited. He couldn't go to the door. And so she uh, answered the door, and then she came back, and she said, oh, it was one of those people who ring the doorbell. And uh, yeah, I prayed with them, and I said, oh, I was already a believer. And I said, yeah, she said, I prayed with them just to get rid of them. But I'm sure that the people who got her to pray with them notched their belt, right? 
that's just, that's religion. That's religion to think that God must now save them because you rang the doorbell. And because she said a prayer that she didn't mean. Although I will tell you, have you ever heard of dating evangelism? Yeah. Uh, or people who go to church and say, uh, yeah, I, I'm her co-worker and she invited me to church, but if I go to church with her, maybe she'll be a little more interested in me. And then glory, hallelujah, God grabs them and saves them against their plan and their scheme. Amen? Now, the prodigal son, religion. Every time I heard about the prodigal son, I never actually felt like the prodigal son. I don't know with whom you identify. But I didn't because from the moment I came to faith, from the moment that Father saved me and rescued me, I had not done anything but love and adore and worship him. That's just the way I'm wired. It's a gift that he's given me to love him. So I never, never quite identified with that. I always identified with the other one, the brother that didn't go away. And this scripture says, you, remember, you know the story where he was bitter because the father killed the calf and the party and the this and the that. And the, the passage is really long and I have more uh, to say, but uh, this is what I want to say to you. I identified with him and then one time I heard a, a, on a Christian radio a sermon on this. And then they said, the, the brother that stayed behind are the Christians who are gripped by legalism, gripped by religion, gripped and in bondage even though they are believers. And what did the father say to his son? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Interpretation, you could have slaughtered a calf anytime you wanted. It would have been okay. My wealth and abundance is yours. But in the spirit of legalism, in the spirit of religion, you were so rigid that uh, we were talking about a prayer meeting this morning, whether or not it was canceled. And, and uh, the... May I say your name? Yeah. <laughs> Jim was saying he knew that it would be he and Ann. And so he thought, we pray at home. We pray at home so we didn't come this morning to the prayer meeting because we knew there wouldn't be anybody there. And I told him it would have been legalism to feel that you had to show up even though you knew you were going to be there. See, God is, is perfectly wise and knowing. And he knows our hearts. And so they felt the freedom it was not, they did I'm not, we cannot judge them, do not judge them. They had the freedom, and in my opinion, if they had come, it would have been out of a sense of uh, off-kilter duties, like the religious thing to do is to show up, that blasted, even if though there's nobody there, right? But they had the freedom of God's spirit, Holy Spirit in them, to know that they could stay behind, and it was okay, the earth didn't fall off its kilter, and Jesus' blood is still perfect in salvation and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So now I'll talk about worship because we're going to compare the two. Well, I've already, have I established that? Religion is not good. The spirit of religion is not good. We don't want that, but the truth is that sometimes we're ensnared by it. Maybe everything doesn't fit, but if we have ever been judgmental, if we've ever been impatient, if we've ever been prideful, hello, I felt last night as I was working on the sermon, I said, God, I must be really prideful because you are humbling me, humbling me. I, the text that I sent is that when I woke up yesterday, I was, I was in agony from my head to my toes. And I, could, I, I breathe because it's, a, it's an automatic thing. I, I, and I did not have the teaching prepared because I spent the week in Chicago dealing with all of the, 
the things that are related to the death in the family. And I thought, oh God, oh God, oh God. And, and I know that he's my ever-present help. I know that. But pride-wise, I wanted to really hit it out of the ballpark because this is the last teaching. I wanted to wrap it up well. And I'm just lucky I'm standing here. So here we go. Um, let's consider Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living living, alive, and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Honestly, I could just sit down after reading that verse. Our lives can be worship every minute that we're awake. We can't control how we dream, by the way. Let, the, let me set you free there. If you wake up after a dream that you are just so embarrassed, you don't control your dreams. You just pray about it when you wake up, but no condemnation. You ask the Lord to cleanse your mind, and before you go to sleep, you take your natural thoughts captive and give them to Christ. But while we're awake, we're responsible for everything that we do, but I don't want to put a yoke on us. I'm just inviting you to the reality that our entire lives, day in, day out, is and can be, and, and Father wants it to be worship unto him. A religious mindset might feel pressure right now, might feel as though this is too difficult to do, might be pressing you to ask, just tell me how to worship and I'll do it right. Give me the formula. Right? Anybody here? I won't ask you to raise your hands. But Jesus came that we might have life and live it fully. He is about relationship, not religion. His spirit Holy Spirit leads us into righteousness, peace, and true holiness. He gives us life and freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. If we feel yoked, if we feel shame, if we feel as though we must in the spirit realm just bend over from the burden, just know that that's not God. It is not God. We have freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we are the temple of God's Holy Spirit, and we take his kingdom everywhere we go. By his Spirit, we can do that. So what does this mean? Romans 12.1 is not about singing songs on Sunday morning exclusively, although that is an act of worship. Living for Jesus is an act of worship. What? 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 Yeah. Reading the Bible is an act of worship, which is different from studying it. So what's next? Studying the Bible is an act of worship. We can read and kind of just speed read. If, that's, if you read quickly, that's, that's not a, a criticism. I, I really envy people who read. I don't read. My brain and my... Eyes are not connected that way. I do everything through audio. Um, we can speed, we can read, we can read every day, and uh, that's good. Because when we do that, sometimes the scripture just kind of comes alive. Have you ever had that? Where you read a passage you've heard sermons on, it's familiar, but all of a sudden it's like, what? God says this? It comes alive. That's what comes when we read. But studying it is something else. 
And it's important to study because we must be, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. We will meet people. We will have opportunities to share our faith. And some people don't just want us to do that Bible, that belt notching. They want to talk. They're confused. They have questions. And sometimes people are going to completely oppose you. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. That is an act of worship. Praying is worship. With passion, agreeing with God's heart for the lost and the perishing. On the spot. In restaurants, stores, parks, beaches. If I ever ride in the car with you, I pray all the time. You say something to me, I'll pray. If I see somebody stranded on the side of the road, I pray. I just pray all day long. I don't make, I don't, I'm not an intercessor in the traditional sense, but I just absolutely believe that I have his ear. And so do you. We all have his ear. And it's always appropriate to pray. Unless you're in court, don't pray out loud. You know, you could get in trouble. Uh, but it's always appropriate, and it's appropriate to pray for anything and everything. And let me tell you, I do that all day long, too. All day long. I know you've heard me say that, and I, I don't know how to illustrate that to you, but all day long, I'm worshiping, because no matter how little it is, if I pray now and 30 seconds later, what I ask happens, you better believe I'm worshiping. This is what I tell him. I love how you love me, God. I love how you love me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Practicing an attitude of gratitude. There you go. I didn't even read that headline, and I went there automatically. Let's thank God throughout the day for anything and often. Let's be intentional about making this a habit. Um, my family, my cousins, my siblings, they're, they're Catholic. And all that that means is that um, some of them go to church, some of them don't. But they identify with the Catholic Church as their, the religion that, and the, the form of Christianity that they embrace. I was privileged in that one of the, uh, the whole 17 of us is a born-again Christian, very devoted to God, really grateful, because he had been a gangbanger. Two, three brothers, two of them were, they were in rival gangs. And one of them told me that the other one had been given the assignment to kill him, murder him and that he jumped out the window to save his life. So I said, did, did he try to kill you? He said, I jumped out the window. What does that tell you? I jumped out the window to save my life. And while he was driving very casually, he was saying, not the one, that, not the one who was born again, that's the one who was assigned to kill. But the, the one that was driving who uh, jumped out the window, he said, yeah, I've murdered. And if I had to stab someone, I did. And by the way, they started really young. But they gave me an opportunity to speak, and I was very grateful. It was five minutes. I took seven and a half. There you go. Uh, but this is what I did. All I wanted to, I didn't present the gospel. I knew that others would. And this is what I told him. I said, God, no matter what we've done, loves us. He knows the secrets of our hearts. Remember, I'm talking to a whole bunch of people who don't even go to church. I said, no matter what we've done, he knows the secrets of our hearts. And not only does he love us, he's pursuing us. He's pursuing us, and we don't ever have to earn his love, but we do have to accept it. And so I said to them, am I running right now? And they, I had like this, and they, they were completely silent. I said, hello, I'm asking you, am I running? And they yelled out in one voice, no. And I said, am I sitting? They said, no. I said, am I walking? No. Am I swimming? No. I said, we have to move, not earn, but we have to move toward God. 
We must move. And that's what it is about worship. It, worship doesn't just come to us. It, we, we don't get inoculation or an injection or eat it when we're eating our Wheaties or whatever it is that we eat for breakfast. We must move into it. And when we do, the spirit of religion loses all its power. And our flesh dies and becomes more like Christ. That's the promise. And in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That, there's no doubt. We might ask him, can I have this house? Can I have this car? That, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll make the way. But the scripture, yes and amen. There's no doubt that he'll do it. When we want to break free from something that, that we know we ought not do, yes and amen. When we want to grow in, in the ability to remember him. I, I led a class on spiritual gifts and I said, let's have a practice of when we open our eyes in the morning and wake up. Something as simple as say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I didn't want to put a yoke on anybody. Can we start there? Can we start there that when we open our eyes, I'm not asking you to kneel and pray for a long time. Can we just say, good morning, Holy Spirit? Right? We must act because God requires it, because relationship requires participation on both parts. Practicing uh, uh, worship is not formulaic. Always praying in such a way as to bore yourself to death. I'm sorry, but I get bored easily and quickly, so I had to put that down. Uh, I find creative ways to pray. Uh, our aunt prays an hour and a half, two hours every day. Honestly, what happens between one day and the next that it takes two hours to say it? I don't get it. But she obviously has a gift of intercession because that is just, I can't go there. Every single day she prays for an hour and a half to two hours. I, glory be to God. She prays for us. Amen. Amen. Uh, mercy is an act of worship. Resisting the urge to judge. Mercy for the under, undeserving. Because that's what mercy is, right? If you deserve it, it's not mercy. Trying to understand those in difficult situations, even situations of their own making, be as Jesus was regarding sinners. Remember, Jesus didn't hang around with the people who called themselves holy. Instead, he hung around and pursued the people that they called unholy. Our hearts should be merciful and tender especially for the most hurting, even the most repugnant. Not everybody's repugnant, but there are a few. And they're not all homeless, or even some of them are really well-educated. They're repugnant. We must love them. And ask, our, ask God to give us his heart for them. And I've got news for you. That, that's a powerful prayer, and one you might regret. Because if you ask Jesus to give you his heart for the people that just rub us the wrong way, you're going to feel their pain, and you're going to feel his love for them. Giving is an act of worship. We know that scripture teaches that God loves a cheerful giver, so giving our tithes, offerings, giving humbly, generously, anonymously, and it isn't just money. It's of our time, our resources, our attention, giving somebody a ride, inviting someone to our house, visiting them at home. Speaking up against injustice is an act of worship because God hates injustice. Let's speak up against gossip. If we're in a room and we see people gossiping, let's say, hey, can we change the subject? We don't have to point a finger and say, you're wicked and I'm holy. That's religion. 
Humility and worship is, hey, can we change the subject? Can we talk about something else? I'm uncomfortable right now. Against dishonesty. Oh, I'll give you a very quick. I'm trying really hard. I really am. Um, I, I worked at this place of millionaires. It was a condominium, or it was called a co-op for millionaires. Multi, like they had hundreds of millions, some of them. Some of the poor ones had like only 10 million. I was their personal switchboard operator. I mean, I answered their personal calls. I did not plug the phone. The phone rang, and I'd, uh, they'd ask for so-and-so. I'd know what apartment they were, and I took their messages, and I would send that up. I was their personal phone maid. And then there was somebody who ran the elevator the old-fashioned way, and then there was someone who stood at the door. So we were all there to serve them, and I'm not criticizing them because they, I got paid. I wasn't doing it for free, so I was very glad. But they had a habit, my fellow employees, had a habit of leaving early and having somebody else punch their card out. And when they came to me, they said, hey, Teresa, we can do that for you. And I said, never in a million years. I said, I will earn every penny that I'm paid. But I knew that all of them did it. And I said, let me tell you something. I'm not going to go and report you. But if I'm ever asked, I will spill my guts and name every one of you. <laughs> I, I said, I am not going to endorse what you're doing. I will not participate in it, and I'm not going to tell on you. But they were afraid of me because I would have. I, I don't know how to lie. Anyway, service is an act of worship. It must be motivated by love, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. We must grow in the love that God, Jesus, Holy Spirit has for everyone, for ourselves and for everyone who's around us. Religion leads to pride. Worship in spirit and truth leads to humility. And let's remember that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. I, you know, I'm sorry. I guess I'm really dumb because I read this and I believe it. I just do. It's very simple. There's nothing there about earning it, but it is a, it's very simple. It's like, let's just do it. Can we just do it? Because if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Period. And guess what? When we draw near to God and resist the devil, the devil must flee. The devils and devil are, they're powerful, but they're not more powerful than Holy Spirit in us. And they must submit to Holy Spirit in us. They must. When we tell them to go, they must. By the way, uh, Ray and I do not abide by 10-hour deliverance sessions for one person. Or three days. Do you know that we can take someone through deliverance in about 40 minutes? Because, why? Because the devil must flee. We tell them to go and they must go. And they know whether or not we believe what we say. Because our authority is based on his faithfulness, but our ability to believe what he says. And then they go. At the end of the day, we will grow in worship away from religion if we purpose to draw near to God. Any and every way possible, every single day. Amen? Amen. Amen.